This morning, we're going to have a reading out of John chapter 17. And we're going to continue to think a bit about prayer. But this morning, we're going to have a little bit of a different take on things. We normally think of, of um, prayer as an aid to the Word. And I want us this morning to think a little bit about the Word of God being an aid to us in prayer. So that's my heart this morning as we come before God in John 17. And Aaron's going to read for us. I had Scott signed up, but then I kind of got my wires crossed because I knew Felicia was going to be away for Mother's Day, worshiping with her family, and Scott was going to be in the back. So so this is not Scott reading for us today, all that to say. So thank you, Aaron. <laughs> morning. John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Or I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has not, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and I are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world 
may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and, and I in them. The grass withers and the flower fades. Maybe some of you have heard of George Barna. George Barna is the founder and directing leader of the Barna Group, which is a research and resource firm in Ventura, California. At least they were a few years ago. Lots of folks are leaving California. They may not be there anymore. His clients have ranged from ministries such as the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and focus on the family to corporations such as Ford and Walt Disney. So this Barna Group does uh, lots of work and research for um, well-known large companies and many others. Several years ago, Barna did a poll in which they asked churchgoers, have you heard of the Great Commission? Just a simple question to folks who went to church. 83% of those who responded said No, I'm not sure. Or, yes, but I can't recall the exact meaning. 83% of churchgoers. Do you know what the Great Commission is? May that statistic not be true of our little church. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is where this commission is talked about jesus says therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age the great commission is the co-mission of the church the mission the corporate mission that the church has been given to do together It's the big objective, the big mission we've been given by God. It's the call to evangelize the world, to reach out, to share the good news with others. How could a church-going Christian not know what the Great Commission is? How is that even possible? Let's say your child has been attending South Royalton School down here for several years. And didn't know any math. What would you deduce? You might. What would you conclude? You might conclude your child is not paying attention in class. Maybe. Right? Or you might conclude that the school's not doing their job. To teach the children. Math. Got some smiles out there. However, what would you think if 83% of the students. Didn't even know what math was. I'd say that the school would have gone to sleep, right, at the wheel. Someone's sleeping behind 
the wheel. So when 83% of churchgoers have no clue what the Great Commission is, the church has fallen asleep at the wheel. Again, I know this is just a small group of people that were asked by Barna. This doesn't reflect the entire church. But still, these are church-going people. Let our church not be one of those statistics. But this morning, my desire is not so much to focus on the Great Commission as it is prayer. And I start with that sort of jarring statistic to, to lead into what I feel moved to say today. Today, I want to talk about some of the supporting actors to prayer, mission and the word. Mission and the word actually are catalysts, supporting actors in our prayer life. And likewise, prayer to mission and the word. And the main thing I want to focus on is how the word of God actually helps us in our prayers. And what we see here in John 17 is something akin to what we saw last week with King David. David prayed because he was desperate for God. And we talked about how David was in this, this dilemma and being um, pursued by his enemies. And he seeks out the Lord in that moment. Today we see Jesus praying because Jesus is on mission. And Jesus was a man of truth. These two things are evident in his prayer life. These two realities are present and fueling his prayer life. And as the Barna study revealed, the church today has lost sight of its mission, which means we are no longer a praying church, nor are we a church of the word. So here's my big idea I want to try and get across. Because prayer is a tool for the mission of the church, we must be on mission if we are to have a vibrant prayer life. In other words, if you're not on mission, if this great commission doesn't mean anything to you, it's likely, I can almost guarantee, you have almost no prayer life. Prayer and mission go together. And of course, the word as well. We're going to see that as we go through. In other words, if you want to grow in your prayer life, there are things other than prayer that are important to think about as well. The other night we were watching the old classic basketball movie Hoosiers. Anyone ever seen Hoosiers before? Come on, show of hands. All right, I got some people. I got like two people raising their hand. I'm like, come on, it's like a classic. And one of the things you quickly see is that conditioning was a big part of the coach's approach to developing a good basketball team. And he's getting all these questions and pushback as he's starting to work with the team. You mean we're not going to shoot the ball, coach? Why aren't we doing any offense? Why aren't we practicing our shots? And he's like, because basketball is about more than just shooting. It's an important part of it, but that's not the whole game. To become better at basketball, he wasn't just focused even on basketball, but the other things that influence their ability to play, like conditioning. You've got to be able to run up and down the court and be in good shape, as one, just as one example. So it is with prayer. If you are not on mission, in particular, and you're um, not thinking, you know, goal-oriented, I need to be evangelizing and sharing Jesus with others and living my life in my community in a certain way, your prayer life is going to be weak and I would say even misguided. I don't mean that you must be a missionary. It's not what I'm talking about when I say on mission. You don't have to be a missionary 
Don't hear me wrong. What I mean is that your life must be animated by something larger, something bigger. Your life cannot just be waking up in the morning and going through your routine. It should be something motivating you that is much bigger. As believers, we know that all of life is about God. Everything has to do with Him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When this is how we view life, when life is an adventure with God, a mission that we're on with God, our prayers will be changed. So let's jump in now. Let me restate the big idea as we start here. Because prayer is a tool for the mission of the church, we must be on mission if we are to have a vibrant prayer life. The very first week we started kind of talking about prayer four or five weeks ago. I talked about how prayer was a walkie-talkie. You remember that? A wartime walkie-talkie. That's kind of the similar idea of what I'm getting at here. One of the things that all of this clearly means for the church is that we must be spending time in the Scriptures, in the Word of God. Because where do we get our marching orders from? Where do we get our mission from? From the Scriptures, from the Word of God. That's where the mission is given to us and explained and we're told how to navigate this life. So this is point number one. Because prayer is a tool for the mission of the church, we must be in the Word if we are to have a vibrant prayer life. So all these things, prayer, mission, word, very much go together. How will we be on mission or even know the mission if we are not in the word of God? The word gives us our marching orders. The word of God not only creates the church, but explains what it is and what it is to do. Imagine a football player that never studies the playbook. He doesn't know the plays. So when the coach calls out the play name, Blue 42, or whatever it is, he don't even know it. You're not going to know where you're supposed to be or where your teammates are supposed to be. He's basically useless at that point. If anything, he's only in the way. And so it is with believers who are not students of the Word of God. If you're not in the Word, you're not going to know how to live this life and be on mission. The fact that 83% of the church uh, people that were polled by Barna did not even know what the Great Commission was reveals there are a large number of Christians that are not in the Word and not on mission for God. When we look at John 17, we begin to see just how central this mission to reach the world is. Keep in mind, this is a prayer of Jesus. Okay. Yes, Jesus is using his prayer to teach. Prayer can be a teaching point or a teaching method as well, but he's mainly just praying here. And one thing that this means is that this is just overflow. In other words, Jesus didn't go sit down somewhere and prepare a lengthy speech or sermon to deliver to his disciples, and that's what we have here. No, this is a prayer. Jesus conversing with the Father. This is just right out of his heart. So that tells us something about what was what Jesus spent his time thinking about and wrestling with, right? He's clearly wrestling with 
truth and purpose and mission. Look with me quickly at verses 6 through 8. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. Jesus is emphasizing the role of the message of the words that Jesus delivered to his followers. At the end of verse 6, they have obeyed your word. The teaching that I was given from you, Father, to give to them. In verse 8, I gave them the words you gave me. And they accepted them, right? Jesus says here that a part of what he came to do was deliver a message to give people God's words, right? Yes, he came to die. Yes, he came to do many things. But here his emphasis is on to give them some teaching, a body of teaching, some words. Jesus again emphasizes this in verse 14. Look with me there if you've got your Bible open verse 14 I have given them your word there it is again and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world again Jesus saying he's given them the words of God of the father and because they have received Christ's words and obeyed them they're not of this world Jesus was not of this world and so we are too or are not also when we receive his words and obey them. The result oftentimes is being hated. But being a Christian, a follower of Christ, according to this passage, is being one who stands, again, in sharp contrast with the world because we have received Christ's words, accepted them, and obeyed them. You might even say, this is what defines us. We've received the teaching of Christ and we're being obedient to his teaching or striving to be obedient how can we therefore be a people who don't know what the great commission is who don't understand the call to evangelize and to share the message of christ with the people around us this is the very thing that created the life that is within us we're born again because of this message that came to us and yet we don't know how to share it right this is a problem And it says something about the state of the church in our land. The word of God is central to who we are, defines us, created the church. It gives us our mission. It is our playbook. The truth of the word will fuel our prayers and our prayers will be filled with the truth, which is a part of what we see here in this prayer of Jesus. So when you're if you, if you get your mind around this, right, it affects how you pray. If you're on mission in your life, right, your prayers are not only for your own personal burdens and challenges in life, but for the people around you that don't know Jesus. You see things very differently. So that's point number one. Point number two is that we must be sharing the word also if we are to have a vibrant prayer life. So we not only are in the word, but we need to be sharing it. And this will motivate us and move us to pray to be on our needs and Jesus's mind here in John 17 what it means to follow him in large part is to receive that message and obey it so by extension if we want others to follow Jesus at least one thing we need to do right is 
Take that message and share it with others and exhort them to obey it also. Right? Let's look down at the next section uh, in this prayer. Verses 20 and 21 right there. Do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Right? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see this missional language here. Jesus is on mission. I've come. I've given your word to them. They've received it. And now they're going and they're going to do it. You see this missional language here. It's through the message that we have come to believe and through that message that the world will believe too. Romans 10 talks about this. Verses 13 through 15. Listen to this carefully here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. Call on the name of the Lord. You're saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Right? This message, this mission is central. That's the model. We receive the words of God and we share them with others. And the more you talk to people about the faith, the more you realize that it's only a work of God that can open eyes. Only God can open people's eyes. Today we live in a world where people no longer believe that they should conform to what is real. All around us, even some of our own neighbors here, this is not like stuff in New York City. This is like your neighbors now believe that reality, what is real, should conform to what they think and what they feel. That's wrong. And that's totally backwards. That's the world we live in, though. There are people today claiming that men can be mothers and in the same breath saying we must follow the science. Our great problem today is not a failure to follow science. Science points to God. The very inventors of modern science were devout believers in God. Our problem is not science. Our problem is moral. And the only way for people to have their deepest convictions changed about the world and life and its meaning and purpose is for God to act in their hearts. But you and I have a role to play. Right? We can share the information and we need to share the information. We need to be people who can talk about these things and who can share the message. But only God can change their heart, okay? Only God. When you get that, you will pray. Your prayer life will be enriched and deepened. Here in John 17, we find our Lord Jesus praying for the success of the mission, praying for those who will hear the word through his followers. We too should be sharing the word and praying for its success. You will pray when you get this, that God is the one who changes hearts and minds. Sharing the word 
with others will deepen our prayer life. That's point number two. But most importantly of all, we must believe. The start of this prayer, Jesus gives us the definition of eternal life. Look at verse three, if you've got your Bible open right there. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That word know implies intimacy. It's a word implying a personal knowledge only gained through active loving relationship like that between a husband and wife. And this leads to our final point this morning. We must believe the word if we are to have a vibrant prayer life. We must believe the word. We've got to be in it. We've got to share it. We've got to believe it. Okay? How did we get from the place... How do we get to the place where we are today, where 83% of people who go to church don't even know what the Great Commission is? Well, to answer that question, I would like to briefly tell the story of two schools in the words of authors Peter Greer and Chris Horst. And they write this, consider the mission statement of a well-known university, quote, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Founded in 1636, this university employed exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers to share the good news. Every diploma read Christo et Ecclesiae around Veritas, meaning truth for the Christ, or excuse me, truth for Christ and the church. And that phrase veritas means truth. You've probably heard of this school. Again, truth for Christ and the church. It's amazing when you hear what school this is. This was Harvard, Harvard University. This was their motto when they were founded, truth for Christ and the church. Only 80 years after its founding, a group of New England pastors sensed Harvard had begun drifting too far for their liking. Again, this is all Peter Greer and Chris Horst's uh, research. They'd begun to drift, and concerned by the secularization at Harvard, they approached a wealthy philanthropist who shared their concerns. This person's name was Elihu Yale. He financed their efforts in 1718, and they called the college Yale University. Yale's motto was not just veritas, like at Harvard, truth, but lex et veritas, light and truth. Today, Harvard's and Yale's legacy of academic excellence are still intact, but neither school resembles what their founders envisioned. At the 350th anniversary celebration at Harvard, Stephen Mueller Former president of uh, John Hopkins University bluntly stated, quote, the bad news is the university has become godless. Larry Summers, the former president of Harvard, confessed, things divine have been central neither to my professional nor to my personal life. These are former presidents of the school. 
Harvard's and Yale's founders were unmistakably clear in their goals, academic excellence, and Christian formation. Today, they do something very different from their founding purpose. What happened to Harvard and Yale is called mission drift. Mission drift. And again, that was an excerpt, those few couple paragraphs there out of uh, those two authors' excellent book, Mission Drift. But mission drift is what um, we've not only seen in universities, but in the church as well. The church has lost sight of its mission. Over time, the church has forgotten not only what the church is supposed to do, but who we are. Church for most people today is a social club, or it's a place where you go to see your buddies or your friends. That is not what church is, folks, at all. It's not a place to volunteer or to get a positive feeling or an uplifting message or to hear some good music. That is not what church is. It's not where we go even to just um, gather with people we love. I mean, that's wonderful and it's a great thing. Church is where we go to worship Jesus and to hear his words taught so that we can grow in our obedience and our desire to obey them. This is the great purpose and end of church. In short, the church in many places no longer believes that. And that's why it's become something else. It's, it's no longer about that. It's become a social club or a place for special events or whatever. And I think over time, one of the major reasons for this is a lack of attention to and love for the word of God. Our bodies are fed with food. Our souls are fed in the word of God. If we neglect our soul's food, our faith will shrivel. And as our faith shrivels, our prayers shrivel. And our, as our prayers shrink and die, our relationship with God does as well. And we see that in places like Harvard and Yale, and Dartmouth, and many, many other once uh, renowned, blessed schools that trained ministers. The Word is a vital ally in our prayer life. We must not neglect it. As we close, just a few thoughts about how the Word fuels us in all of these things, in mission and in prayer, and I hope that's come through through those few thoughts that I shared. But as we close, I'd like to give a brief Mother's Day charge. Contrary to the opinions of a growing mob in our culture, not everyone can be a mother. Being a mother is a special gift to women. It is a massive part of what it means to be a woman, to bring life into this world. Your role is vital, and it should be fought fought for and protected. I would not be much of anything today if it were not for my amazing mom. Thank you, mom. I mean that. And I'm aware that many of you have not yet had the opportunity to have children, or maybe some have not been able to. Some have chosen not to, and some of you may have even lost children. But here's what I feel moved to say to all the women in the room today. In light of everything we just heard about mission and the word and prayer and all of those things, give your life away to the little ones around you. Give your life away or to the younger women around you. God has brought some children to us. We're all connected to little ones. 
some here at the church, some in our families. Let us not neglect to share God's truth with them whenever we have opportunity. We don't forget to feed our kids. We don't forget them to take them to the park or to read to them, to play. Let us not forget to teach them about Jesus. Moms, grandmoms, you have a hugely important role to play. The Apostle Paul in his second letter to Timothy, a young maturing pastor, writes these words. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also, he wrote. The women in Timothy's life passed down their faith to him. Moms, there is no greater gift you can give to your children than Jesus Christ. The church in America may have drifted far from its calling, but hope is not lost. God has given us little ones. Let us be faithful to give them the words of God and teach them about the Lord Jesus. Rest assured, the world is teaching children their ideas. Let us teach them what God says about who they are. Not only will this bless them, but it will enrich your life and your prayers. Amen. Now let's pray after that mouthful. Lots of thoughts there. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we are on mission and mission drives our prayers, God. And lots of things I've talked about this morning, Lord, are things that uh, the church and our culture has so sadly abandoned. But Lord, we can't give up. We can't just say, well, everything's changing. What are we to do? No, you have given us a course. You've charted one before us. And it's the same today as it was yesterday. Know me, make me known. That's the charge. That's the, the call. Let us do that. Whatever is going on all around us. Let us be courageous for you let us be on our knees, God. And we know those go together. When we're being bold, when we're being courageous, when we're sharing you with others, when we're living life on mission, our prayers are deepened. We find ourselves praying more. And when we pray more, we find ourselves more on mission. Oh, Lord God, let us not forget this charge you have given us to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus. We're so grateful that you have not forgotten us in this difficult time. We love you. We thank you. All these things we lift to you. In Jesus' name, amen.